Do you like to laugh, geek out on music, and learn all about that band or artist who had that one song back in the day, but then seemed to fall off the face of the earth? If so, you need to subscribe to One Hit Thunder. Together with an array of interesting and hilarious guests, we do a weekly dive into one-hit wonders like Eiffel 65's Blue, Crayshon's Gucci Gucci, EMF's Unbelievable, Delamitri's Roll to Me, Los Del Rio's Macarena, Musical Youth's Past the Duchy, and even Patrick Swayze's She's Like the Wind. So are you subscribed to One Hit Thunder or what? As Desiree would say, you gotta be. And as K7 would encourage, you gotta come baby come and join in on the fun of the One Hit Thunder podcast. Put down that smartphone and listen to me. I'm Matthew Milligan, professional musician and lifelong Weird Al fan. Each week, I'm joined by professional podcaster and close personal friend Matt Kelly to take a dive off the deep end into the vast career of pop culture icon Weird Al Yankovic on our show, Weird Algorithm. Along with some very special guests from the worlds of music and comedy, we tackle every song, every television appearance, and every bit of sketch comedy Al has produced in chronological order, covering the good old days of My Bologna and Eat It, the fun zone of tacky and white and nerdy, and everything in between. As we go, we're ranking the songs, albums, and music videos in the hopes of creating the ultimate guide to a career bigger than the biggest ball of twine in Minnesota. So the next time you're having one of those days stuck in a traffic jam wondering why does this always happen to me, just kick off your sneakers and stick around for a while because we've got it all on Weird Algorithm, available wherever you get your podcasts. And now you know. Was that enough references? Hey, do you have an idea for a podcast but don't know where to start? Or do you have an already existing podcast that you want to take to the next level? Well, check out WeKnowPodcasting.com. From concept development to theme music to editing to logos, WeKnowPodcasting.com is a one-stop shop for all things pod. Don't hesitate to hit us up. We're very nice. Everybody and welcome to another episode of Horror Movie Night. We gave Kyle a week off, and <laughs> we're joined instead by uh, the host of one of my favorite podcasts, Before My Time with Gelsey Laurie. But Gelsey, we gave you an option to pick a movie for us to discuss. You sent us a couple options, honestly, and we picked the one that we were most interested in talking <laughs> wait, about. Wait, wait, wait! But I don't. This is bullshit. You picked this then matt because i um, didn't see a list there was a list and it was piranha or the musical version of reefer madness and you said i will not talk about the musical version oh, of reefer madness. oh yeah that's not a list why that's won't you options. talk about that that's one of my favorite <laughs> films of all time i i wanted to love it because it has so much that i love in it but the music is just bad what? Reefer Madness music is so good. That's like what gets me home from drives. If I'm like, I'm going to fall asleep at the wheel, I'm like, sing a long time to Reefer Madness. <laughs> Some people go for Disney. You go for Reefer Madness. Yeah. 
we decided more appropriately to go with Piranha because it's a film that's before all of our time. And that is a great way to tie into Gelsey's podcast. Hey-o. For those of you who don't know, Piranha is a 1978 film. It's Joe Dante's first movie. It's also one of the first scripts from John Stiles. And it is uh, basically a Jaws parody. The Universal actually tried to sue them to stop them from releasing the movie. There's a lot of speculation on that. Um, one of the th- theories I've heard is that Universal realized that Jaws 2 wasn't very good and actually thought Piranha was the superior of the movies and were trying to keep it from getting released in theaters. But ultimately, Steven Spielberg saw an advanced screening of Piranha, said it's the best Jaws ripoff I've ever seen and told Universal to back off. So yeah. the only reason that we're able to see Piranha is because Steven Spielberg stood up for the movie, which is more than we can say about a lot of the people behind the making of it. Uh, Joe Dante thought it was the biggest piece of trash he's ever made. So. Oh, it's because he had a ridiculous schedule. I think that they shot it in 20 <laughs> days and he had to edit it in less. I mean, it was it was total breakneck speed from what I read. Honestly, don't think it was that bad, you know? Like, I guess I think Joe this Dante is the most has... I've ever liked it. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I think as a kid, I missed a lot of the dark humor that's in this movie, but the dialogue and the tone of the movie in general is so off. Like, well, for, for the <laughs> yeah. guy that loves Alligator, it, it, this is a perfect pairing with Alligator. Well, it's the writer of Alligator's first oh. movie. Okay. <laughs> See, I, I knew a bunch of names, but I did not know that name. So there we go. I I did a weird amount of research. I have more notes about the stuff that I researched than anything else in this movie. That's the way that we need to go with this podcast to keep people entertained. We also need video of this to show to everyone that, you know, it's it's two weird dudes and then like a normal human being. So <laughs> I'm not normal. Yeah, no, it's just Outwardly three normal. Weird that? human beings. <laughs> So, Gelsey, let's talk about your history with Piranha. I I have a feeling this was probably something you watched as a kid. Yeah, and a you just always remembered. Okay. Yeah, it was. Um, so there was a time that my dad had gotten instead of like a direct TV box, it was when high def TVs were out, and there was a new. I think it was called Zoom or Zoom. I think it was Zoom, and it was its own box and it was like you could get zoom tv and we got all these extra channels and it was really weird didn't take off obviously but there was a monsters <laughs> channel that came with it and oh. so it 24 hours just played horror films and that became our go-to channel we were like what's on monsters and we found all these like crazy films and then that kind of introduced me to also like all the classics i just would always go to that channel one day we're like let's see what's on monsters and piranhas on and we were like, this is the most absurd. Like, we just started laughing. And it became this, it wasn't something I watched all the time. Like, I want to say it was like once or twice that I watched it. But the big joke with my dad and I is like, we would always do like puppet hands and like peck at each other and go like anytime we were bored. It, it's just something we do now. And so I was like, well, it has, I have to pick this movie. So fun fact, now that you've brought up the sound of the piranha, do you know how the piranha's sounds were achieved? It has to be pigeons, right? No. <laughs> they didn't go into extreme details, but on the commentary track, Joe Dante just keeps saying, you're hearing the sound of a dentist drill in water. Oh. And it's been speculated if he means that they specifically took like dentist instruments and put them in the water or if they had someone using them above the water while the audio was underneath the water to give it that like weird sound but 
if you listen to it and think of it that way, it's like that is absolutely the sound of like a dentist drill. I'm really <laughs> sad it's not pigeons because I always am like it's like they use pigeon noises for fish. That was like my first big like, what the hell am I watching? <laughs> I love that that's where your mind went. You know, your, your teenage Kelsey's like, they use pigeons for fish. Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> that is so off the wall. You know, obviously, like I said, this is this is a pretty big Jaws parody throughout, um, especially the most obvious is the opening scene is very clearly a an homage to Jaws, and then it immediately cuts to someone playing the Jaws video game. <laughs> so it's like, just in case you missed <laughs> what we were paying an homage to, let's just have the word Jaws on the screen real quick. Yeah, and that arcade game looked way more difficult than the Jaws NES game, <laughs> and it made me it made me like. Think back on on the one time I played Jaws on NES. I can't imagine a game that's harder than that uh, with without logic because the Jaws video game, for anybody that doesn't know, it, you can beat it in like two minutes if you know exactly where to go. It's just on the map. But it's like if you're just pecking around trying to use logic to get somewhere without cheats or things like that, it's near impossible to play the game. It, yeah. And it's also super boring. <laughs> I'll remember so to put that on my do not playlist. Yeah, you literally pick up shells <laughs> yeah, at the bottom if, of like, the ocean and shoot Switch. fish for a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I wonder if, the, if uh, Jaws on Switch is going to get like a boost from us talking about the <laughs> <laughs> Two things I want to say about where we're at in, in this movie so far is that there are so many great sound clips to be had in Piranha. The music is not great, but I feel like I have to figure out some way to to turn this into a cover because turn some some of the soundtrack into a cover because there's one part where the girl goes let's get wet and um, <laughs> that, that definitely <laughs> stuck out to me too I was like because that's what you say they're can- they're they're like hiking and she was like let's you know get in this pool I mean I love the fact that th- there's no thought behind her character she's just like let's get in this pool before we get in the tent I'm like first of all. You don't know what's in that pool. Second of all, how are you going to dry yourselves off and then get in your tent? <laughs> anyway, the logic aside, I love that line. I love the the desk girl's outfit at that hurts in that second scene. You guys know what I'm talking about? No. No. No? Kelsey, I thought you I know, and that's normally like my ja- – I think I was still – literally my first note, we just skipped over. Five minutes in, boobs. Yeah, and that's <laughs> yeah, no, that was yeah, five minute mark. They waste, and I think it's a body double. I'm pretty sure I read that that the uh, only no, the nude scene double. in the movie is a body double, even though the actress is a former Playboy model. She like that that... at the zero hour was like, I don't think my husband would approve of me being naked in a movie, so they had to bring in a body double. <laughs> well, I read that too, but I don't know if that was was that her or was that the main character. Is the main? I don't remember the main character think, being. I naked. don't remember the main character no, no, being no, naked are, either. But I, when I was reading the trivia, yeah, I, I thought that she was the one that had been in Playboy already. It doesn't oh, really knows? matter, you know, in the grand scheme of things. But it, it, I was very confused by that too when I was reading the trivia. I, I appreciate uh, one of the things I read in the trivia was that the the actor who plays the main character complained to the writer that his character had no real motivation or depth, and the writer was like. 
Well, in my defense, I was writing a Roger Corman movie and he doesn't normally care about that stuff. <laughs> they kind of beefed up like the alcoholism sideline, like in giving him like more of a backstory for why he's this weird gruff loner. Which I love. He like mentions his ex like a million times. He's like, well, you know, yeah. my ex wife this, that. And he's like, my ex-wife and I used to hike up here. And I was like, just in case you missed, he's got an ex-wife. And all those red flags don't even they don't stop the female lead because she's like just throwing herself at him and, and he Within doesn't get it. Within 24 hours of meeting him approximately, she's well, I mean, like, I get he's it. the one. I get it if he's if he's hot, but <laughs> I don't really see like this guy who carries around a an army flask full of whiskey. And, you know, I, I don't know. I, 1978 beauty standards versus 2021 beauty standards. I, I can't really speak to it, but I wouldn't be hopping in bed with a person like that personally. <laughs> I can uh, I can speak as a female. Me neither. <laughs> I did think about that because I was like, okay, here's the leading man, and it is the standards are very different. You watch any 1970s film, and it's the women and men. It's just completely different. And it's I was like, hair was in, the beards were in, which are kind of ironically hipster style coming back. But and I was like, okay, well, I guess you know for that time. And if you look at his face, he's not a terrible man looking, but uh, just still. Wouldn't. He has all his teeth, you know. Yeah, you know. Uh, whatever, let's do it. But uh, no, <laughs> but yeah, just like begrudgingly living in the woods, drinking his life away. Yeah, big yeah. I just yeah, I love that she's the flags. aggressor in the situation too. Like he's like completely not even thinking about it, and she's the one that's got to be like, "Yeah, I'm I'm trying to get into bed with you." <laughs> he's like, "Well, well Matt, she's got a so stressful drink, job." For those who don't know, yeah. <laughs> you know, she spends her time looking for missing people. She knows how to find dead bodies. She's like, "I don't got much time for romance, so I'm gonna take it when I can get it." So of course, because it was 1978, there's a novelization for this movie and. <laughs> Apparently in the novelization, there's a whole backstory to how she became a private investigator was that her husband ran away, like ran off and she hired a private investigator to find him and became so caught up in how exciting it was to be part of the investigation that she stopped caring about finding her husband and just wanted to do that. I'm a career <laughs> woman now. Hey, that's progress. All right. The biggest thing that they cut from the movie that actually devastates me, Scott, I want you to flash back to when we did Piranha 2 and Brian swore that that the scene was in Piranha 2. They're in the lab and there's a random claymation fish monster that walks across the table and that's it. You know, he just walks away. Originally in the script, that creature was going to continuously pop up in the movie, getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And then instead of the like ominous ending where it just like pans to the ocean you're like did they get into the ocean who knows it was just going to be a gigantic claymation fish monster appears after they've taken care of the piranha okay. i was wondering because i was like wait did i just see a little claymation like i was like what the <laughs> fuck is this and then i was like i'm tripping i actually had to look up i was like am i watching the right version because this is not what I think the movie's about. But if I remember, like I, I double checked because I was like, this can't be, this has to go somewhere. They can't put all that effort into making this little like claymation creature and then just drop it. And they, it's exactly what happened. They did. What? They did. They were like, we filmed this much. They filmed that as a, a tribute to Ray Harryhausen. Mm -hmm. And originally Joe Dante wanted to have that whole like more of the monster movie instead of the fish gone crazy angle. But they ran out of money. Uh, for the special effects. Classic. Now, uh, what I read was that the special effects were ten or were uh, fifty thousand dollars, or was that the whole? Wait a second, it was let the me, whole budget. Me but the the <laughs> score cost 
$10,000. And I want to know how much that exploding boat cost. Because I feel <laughs> like so much <laughs> could have been saved from that and they could have used it for the fish and monster. And there was like nothing that did not do anything for the movie. It wasn't like, okay, but at least we no. have this big explosion that just topped it off a notch. I kind of was like, what was that big FX for? Like, why? The only thing I can think of, and maybe this is just because I'm like Mr. Troma but I'm wondering if that boat explosion was filmed for something else. No, I don't think it was because it was on that same lake, you know, like they were using for everything. This movie was big, especially for like Roger Corman and New World Pictures. Like this movie was popular. This wasn't like Carnosaur, you know what I mean? Like this movie actually did fairly well. It's also 30 year difference between those two, isn't it? Yeah, but I'm saying like Roger Corman's from the 50s on has been kind of like, drive-in movie straight to video type guy but i think this actually was like a well received both critically and financially in the box office versus what they were used to what time of year did it come out because halloween came out the same year and i know this is a little more of like a campy (laughs) film but like i would looked up i was like what other horror films came out that year and i was like fuck halloween like what so it's going up against like an all-time classic. But what the question I wonder is, how did Halloween do at the box office? It might not have had That's as true. big of a uh, as big of a uh, release as okay, so he, Piranha. I don't know. So here it is. Here's the breakdown. A few things actually that I just found. Okay, so it came out August third. So it was a summer, a late summer movie. Perfect. Scott, the music's done by Pino Giano. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that name right. But I don't know why you even tried. <laughs> yeah, but it's the guy who did all the music for uh, Tourist Trap. Oh, nice. So it was made on a budget of $600,000, and it made okay. $16 million <laughs> at wow. its run. What? <laughs> okay, so then that means that special effects did cost $50,000, yeah. and they didn't even have enough to do any more than that one stop-motion scene. But the other, there was another monster in that scene that I really loved, and it's it's definitely a hand puppet. In, in water and it's just like kind of menacingly looking at them, you know, because yeah. you can actually see that, that it doesn't, it, there's no <laughs> terminus to it. It just goes to the bottom of the tank. Budget cuts. I don't know. Can you cut a budget when it's already that low? <laughs> um, oh, trust me, you can. <laughs> but I loved that character because he reminded me of, you guys know Snake Mountain, right? From the He-Man toys back from the 80s. Oh, yeah, there yeah. Was, there was the... I think it might have, was it a snake or a rat's head that you could like talk into and it had a sound changer in it? I don't, I don't remember that part because I never could actually get the mountain. I just would admire it at friends' houses. Oh, I did. I, I only <laughs> played it at friends' houses and then I remember finding one at a garage sale when I was in high school and getting it for no apparent reason and then <laughs> donating it as soon as I graduated from high school. It made no sense. In college, I, I used to, if I would find light brights at yard uh-huh. sales i would i would pick them up and then just put statements on them uh, but i hope that there are things like that you know hang in there i was and, just saying like positive other, motivational like the, the cat, quotes all yeah, over in light yeah. rights <laughs> tomorrow's another day kelly it just, <laughs> so the other story that i had read scott i think you probably read the same imdb trivia page that i was reading but i'm sure uh joe dante was talking about with this movie and a lot of the other Roger Corman films at the time, they would submit the movie to the MPAA. They would get the notes on what they needed to cut. So then they would cut all those scenes and resubmit it and get the R rating and then immediately put all those scenes back in and ship the movie to the uh. theaters with the R rating approval from MPAA because they're like, they didn't care about our movies enough to double check once they were in theaters, which I think is pretty cool. But I want to talk about 
the camp counselor, the main head of the camp. The asshole? Oh, he's the best. Scott, it's Paul he, Bartel. It's yeah. not just the... That's what I was going to say. We're, we're talking about a serious, serious We're talking actor about a here. B actor from such films as Chopping Mall and Gremlins 2, Real, the new batch. Raul, right? in, eating Raul. Oh, but also, we don't have just one famous B-movie actor in this. We have two. Who was also in the Gremlins franchise. Yeah, we get Dick, Dick Miller, Miller as <laughs> in here. The asshole camp counselor is so fucking fantastic to me every time yeah. he's like I was like, oh my god, like, who put this man in charge of children? He's I know, that's what I love about them. him so much. I love him so much. He's such a douchebag. Bullying <laughs> the children to go swimming. Yeah, and I I think that at one point, is he the one that says like, sober up, Grogan, and fly right? Which is not <laughs> something that anybody in 1978 would say, maybe in 1948, but Fly right hasn't been cool in a long time. <laughs> he also Sorry, gets, I think, my favorite attack because he's the only person where the fish jumps out of the water to get to them. <laughs> and that shot of it just flying into his face. But that scene where he gets attacked, like, I guess none of the kids actually die. But my God, yeah, what a dark, horrifying scene. Like, in what is mostly a, like kind of goofy Jaws ripoff like that scene as I was watching it and you have like the one kid who's trying to balance himself on top of an inner tube to keep himself out like I was like man putting myself in the mindset of like all right let's buy that this is something that's really happening that is the most horrific moment in the entire I movie literally for wrote me. kids traumatized I was like yeah like just a f- bunch of kids that now in 20 years are going to be the generation of beating their wives or something like that yeah. that's a deep-seated trauma. <laughs> that might have had a little bit more to do with you know lead poisoning in the 70s and not necessarily you know being no, uh, it was cast about attacked piranha. by piranhas they were like also, <laughs> that scene also has a shot that i don't think i really paid much attention to when i saw this as a kid but like as an adult i think is a really horrific and kind of beautiful shot for how simple it is which is the one camp counselor that you actually like who is a sweet person mm-hmm. just being pulled underwater with what is basically just a bunch of paper mache fish taped to her. But like the way that the blood is kind of coming out as she's just kind of swimming off, like it is a really well shot. Like it's like stuff like that where you're like, there's the Joe Dante we like. Yeah, I love the way it was filmed. They're just dramatic look away as she just like sinks. (laughs) For every scene like that in Piranha where the editing is good, there are like three scenes where someone is getting eaten by fish and all they can do is show literally one cell of the person's face and yeah. then one cell of the fish and it is absolute terrible editing so oh, the, it's, it's most not, of it's the not fish a great attacks, film. most of the fish attacks is just let's throw some red dye in this water and put a bubble machine underneath it like oh, it's very i love it pecking. it's so it's so evil dead <laughs> it's oh and the pecking because they're there are definitely birds. Because they're bird, uh, that's the, bird what, they're packing, and yeah. it's a pigeon sound. They are underwater pigeons <laughs> killing people. That's I mean, it. ask any zoologist, and they'll tell you the piranha is the water's pigeon. Um, yes. So You're like, get away. The old man at the pier also used to always bother me just because he seemed like a nice enough guy. He's just sitting there talking with his dog, telling him jokes. Oh, no. You know, like, I, what's not to love? His river speech in the beginning where he's like, the river's my friend. I swim on it. <laughs> I get my fish from it. I was like, oh, you are so dead. You're making this whole river. You are like so sentimental about the river. And I was like, the piranhas are getting in that river and you are gone. It's He just wrote his own eulogy with that speech. Well, it was his own fault. The, the horror movie rules say you don't get drunk 
And so, he, and he was wasted talking to his dog. That's true. And also, he gave the main guy a hard time when he brought over his five bottles of liquor up from the uh, from town. And I'm like, you can't practice what you preach, bro. I definitely would have sent a pigeon death wish on anyone that treated me that way. That is going to get <laughs> drunk and declines my tequila. So mm. even his the the main character's daughter has got like a weird like Drew Barrymore <laughs> in the late. 70s early 80s kind of look like i could see her being gertie <laughs> in I was, e. literally though my <laughs> thought and this is like just a 70s style but i was like oh this poor girl like that haircut is so tragic of course she's so mopey and depressed and no one's playing with her and she's a loser and then i went into my own backstory was like well she's from a split family maybe the times she's with dad he doesn't like know how to like fix her hair and make her feel fun and cute like the other girls and I'm, I'm being totally maybe I'm just repressed of my own childhood but yeah you like literally just you gave more of a backstory to that character than any writer did <laughs> the writer was just like but she's afraid of water <laughs> like, yeah and also events like this in horror movies when someone's afraid of water or afraid of something and then it comes true that there's a reason for them to be afraid of those things that's just going to increase the trauma you can be like i was right that little girl's like i was right she's never i'm never bath. going in the water again yeah she's like yeah oh yeah maybe, maybe that's why she's uncool yeah, she's but then she's kid. i like how she's the one that's so like not squeamish but you know whatever she's like eh, water and then she's like the hero that's like oh shit everyone's in trouble let me just hop on a boat and save the day and i'm like that wouldn't happen i loved the part where she tries to get the, the kayak out because that would make more sense you could save more people and then it's too heavy she's like oh, fuck that and then she just gets an inner tube <laughs> she's like well looks like i'm only getting one person <laughs> so i was disappointed by this movie as a kid as a kid i i actually i think actively hated this movie and i think it was because I, obviously, I love Jaws, and I love all the Jaws ripoffs. And the VHS box, if you've ever seen the VHS for this movie, A, the box art is amazing. It's a its a girl swimming with her arm out in the air, and there's this giant piranha coming up from underneath like the Jaws poster. Um, but then on the flip side of that box, the only image on the back of the box was a close-up of these awesome stop-motion piranha monsters, like hundreds of them up against a gate. And that scene is either not in the movie at all or shows up in such a flash that you barely notice it. So when I was watching this movie, I'm like, it's just a bunch of paper cutouts. Like, what the hell is this? Like, whenever they would show, like, a school of piranha, there was more than one of them on shot. It was just like, hey, here's a giant sheet of fish cutouts that we have. Let's just kind of drag them through the water real quick. Kinda... Like, I didn't know who Joe Dante was at that time, so I didn't even know that I was watching it as a comedy. I ultimately bought it anyway, and I do enjoy, like I've watched it a couple times and I've slowly grown in appreciation, but like watching it this time, I was like, oh, this movie's actually really funny. Like- I didn't like, take it as a comedy. See, I was watching it through the lens of, <laughs> I'm taking this like they took it seriously. But I think that that's where the comedy's supposed to be, yeah. is that like, is that they knew from the, from the jump that it was an absurd Jaws ripoff. So like they did what I think you're supposed to do, right? Like I've, I've been on this soapbox many a times about like why I don't like Sharknado is that it's too in on its own joke. But I think that this does it great where it's like, it plays it so straight 
that like if you rewatch it and listen to the dialogue that they're saying very sincerely throughout the entire movie like the the scene that came to mind for me is the entire jailbreak scene where she's like like going through this entire long speech and like breaking the sink pipe and like smashing up the toilet seat lid and like basically doing like a borderline like MacGyver type escape <laughs> situation but it's like very sincere and the whole time the other guy's just like what the fuck is going on over there like I had a problem I, with that scene oh Talk let's about hear trauma. about it I don't like when people get hit in the head. I don't know if you know this, Scott. I just suffered two concussions this summer, and I'm five oh. months into oh, like a really bad long recovery. And I have a lot of PTSD from it. <laughs> I'm laughing, but it's like actually really not fun. And so now when I see movies and people get hit in the head, I'm like, what did he? I know you got to get out and save the world, but like, you, A, we know how the movie ends. You don't save the world, so bad job. And this poor mm-hmm. guy that's just doing his job, like, as the jailkeeper, like, he didn't do anything wrong. And now, I, who knows if he's had concussions in the past and now he might have chronic issues or at least a long-term recovery. <laughs> he's going to have to like stay in his house and not look at lights or think or talk for like months possibly if his recovery is <laughs> shitty. And that's not fair. I was really upset about that and sad for him. Anyways, that's No, I, I understand. <laughs> I absolutely get it. This is why I don't get into fist fights because I don't want to, you know, cause any traumatic brain injury. I, these hands, man. Yeah, they're too dangerous. That's, that's really. <laughs> Megan's over next to me. She just could not believe I just said that. <laughs> well, that's why I uh, don't go to the gym anymore because it was just getting too dangerous that I might hurt someone unknowingly. Uh, are you, <laughs> so you're saying that yesterday and today were your first and last days yes, at yes, the gym? Those are... <laughs> Though you can't top them. You, you started with Mudvayne LD50 as your soundtrack yesterday. You ended with Anthrax Among the Living Today. There's no topping. And I was like, I don't like the person I'm becoming. <laughs> so I, walked, I said, I'll just take a three-month break from, from staying in shape. and <laughs> Get out while you can. When he goes to dive off the boat... Um, he ties himself and he's like, I've got to go get the toxins out. And so, you know, count to 100 and drive away. His dive is so bad. Did no one else catch that? He like preps, he ties, he's like, start counting. And he looks and he's like, and does his whole big professional bet and just like belly flop dives. And I was like, that is the best part of the movie. Anyways. Do you like to laugh, geek out on music, and learn all about that band or artist who had that one song back in the day, but then seemed to fall off the face of the earth? If so, you need to subscribe to One Hit Thunder. Together with an array of interesting and hilarious guests, we do a weekly dive into One Hit Wonders like Eiffel 65's Blue, Krayshawn's Gucci Gucci, EMF's Unbelievable, Delamitri's Roll to Me, Los Del Rio's Macarena, Musical Youth's Past the Duchy, and even Patrick Swayze's She's Like the Wind. So are you subscribed to One Hit Thunder or what? As Desiree would say, you gotta be. And as K7 would encourage, you gotta come, baby, come and join in on the fun of the One Hit Thunder podcast. Put down that smartphone and listen to me. I'm Matthew Milligan, professional musician and lifelong Weird Al fan. Each week, I'm joined by professional podcaster and close personal friend Matt Kelly to take a dive off the deep end into the vast career of pop culture icon Weird Al Yankovic on our show, Weird Algorithm. Along with some very special guests from the worlds of music and comedy, we tackle every song, every television appearance, and every bit of sketch comedy Al has produced in chronological order, covering the good old days of My Bologna and Eat It, the fun zone of Tacky and White and Nerdy, and everything in between. As we go, we're ranking the songs, albums, and music videos in the hopes of creating the ultimate guide to a career bigger than the biggest ball of twine in Minnesota. 
So the next time you're having one of those days stuck in a traffic jam wondering why does this always happen to me, just kick off your sneakers and stick around for a while because we've got it all on Weird Algorithm. Available wherever you get your podcasts. And now you know. Was that enough references? Hey guys, it's Matt interrupting the episode real quick to tell you two things. First of all, if you haven't already, go head up to the Patreon page at patreon.com backslash HMN podcast. There's a bunch of different tiers. You can get a ton of cool stuff like video versions of the episodes, uh, getting the episode a week early, or weekly bonus content from us. This includes talking about movies like The Wicker Man and... Teen Wolf and a bunch of other kind of bad movies. Dick Tracy is on the horizon at this time. Or just getting a newsletter from us once a month, letting you know what's going on in the lives of the Horror Movie Night team. But if you don't feel comfortable doing a monthly Patreon donation, I totally understand. But would you consider maybe going over and getting yourself a cup of coffee from Rootless Coffee? Go to rootlesscoffee.com. And if you use promo code capital HMN10, you get 10% off your purchase and it helps out us. We get a little kick of that money. So if you want to help support the show and you're a fan of coffee, Rootless Coffee is a phenomenal coffee brand made from some of the finest beans in Michigan. I know, who would have thought? And it's run by Jono of the pop punk band The Swellers. That's even extra cool if you're a fan of pop punk music, which if you're listening to Horror Movie Night, there's a good chance you are. Anyway, back to the show. Uh, so, Gelsey, I don't know. I probably was really bad at organizing this, and I don't think I told you this part of the show. We do a thing called What's Your Double Feature, uh, in which you pick a movie that you would watch as like a, let's say you were organizing a drive-in movie night mm -hmm. and you had to pick a second B feature to follow or come before Piranha, what would that movie be? If you want some time to think, uh, Scott and I can probably go yeah, first on go this. first because... Ah, oh, man, I, I, I don't... It's hard to pick because I have so many <laughs> that could go great with this. I would go with Gremlins 2, the new batch, because... We have two actors from it already in here, plus Joe Dante is writing, writing and directing or just directing? but Just directing on this one, but yeah. I just, you know, I absolutely love the Gremlins franchise. You got, you got Big Brain Gremlin, you got Spider Gremlin, you got Bat Gargoyle Gremlin, you got Greta Gremlin. Let me throw in Vegetable Gremlin real quick. <laughs> yes, the best Gremlin. <laughs> I'm going to follow a similar train of thought, and I'm uh, we've already mentioned it once before, but I'm going to double feature this with Alligator. It's the same writer. It hits a lot of the same beats. I actually, I mean, my appreciation for Piranha has certainly grown over the years, but it is still nowhere near my love for the movie Alligator. I, I literally just rewatched it. This is still a perfect movie in my eyes. So Alligator all of the way. Gelsey, have you been able to come up with a double feature? Yeah, I mean, I've got like two ideas. One is not the same vibe, but it's a water scary oh shit movie. So Anaconda is the first thing that came to mind because I was like, let's go a little Ooh. more like... <laughs> Now let's get serious, but just let's make people not want to go in the water. I'm for that kind of. And then Jaws too. I don't want to pick Jaws because I feel like that's an easy cop out. But um, little side fun story. So I 
used to live in Vegas and they have Lake Las Vegas. And during the summer they do movies on the lake and they have a big projection mm-hmm. screen and you rent inner tubes and you sit in the lake and watch a movie. And I did it for Jaws too. And it's like pitch black out and the water's dark and you're just like in inner tubes with your beer watching Jaws too. And it was super fun. All right. And now the final part of our show, what have you been watching lately? Uh, where anybody just, we all just chime in with something that we've watched recently that we want to say, Hey, Maybe you should check it out, or eh, maybe you should avoid this. Gelsey, as our guest of honor, I would like you to go first. And also, while you're doing it, maybe tell people about this podcast that you do. Oh, yeah, casual. I will. So, yeah, I uh, just watched a m- movie on a flight recently, and then I rewatched it two nights ago with my family called Blythe Spirit. And it was a remake from an old, I think, 40s film, but it's about a writer who is married. Isla Fisher plays his wife. It's 1937 in England. He's this really famous writer. He gets commissioned to write a screenplay. He's got writer's block. So he hires a medium to hold a seance so he can do some research. They basically do it to take the piss out of her. And Judy Dench is the medium. And she actually does conjure up his dead ex-wife, who Leslie Mann plays. And she's haunting him. And it turns out she actually was the writer of all his books and ghost wrote them, no pun intended. Um, and so he kind of gets stuck <laughs> in a zany love trio. Everyone's out to get, yeah, really fun movie. Uh, that was on my, did that come out in 2019? No, 2020. Okay. Okay. So uh, that was on my to, do, to watch list and I it somehow got buried, but um, that sounds like a perfect one for this house. I was going to say, it sounds like she's literally describing a movie for Scott and Megan. It's to great. Watch. And I mean, you have Isla Fisher and Leslie Mann in the same movie. Like it's, it's gold and the set design and the wardrobe is stunning. And speaking of that, obviously I'm obsessed with all that because I have my own podcast called before my time where I talk about everything I am obsessed with before my time. And you can find me on Instagram at before my time under slash underscore podcast. There we go. And Scott's own lovely wife, Megan, has been a guest on a recent episode talking about some like it hot, arguably the greatest comedy of all time. Yeah. Who knows? Arguably uh, the greatest <laughs> episode of my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I've watched a lot. I don't know what to get into. Um, I mean... Shang-Chi was amazing, uh, yeah. loved it. Um, Dune was really boring. And then Antlers was surprisingly disappointing. It must have been bad because I didn't even know you watched it. And that was like your most yeah. anticipated film for the last year and a half. Yeah, yeah, it was supposed to come out <laughs> April of 2020. And then they pushed it off until October, October, September, whatever, recently of 2021. And um, it's based on a really great short story called The Quiet Boy. And the monsters in The Quiet Boy are wholly original, and that's what I loved about it. And then they really watered down and simplified what the monsters were in Antlers, and, and I hated that because I knew that they were, I mean, I, I could tell, you can tell from the, the original trailer if you watch it that it's it's a Wendigo, it's not like a brand new kind of monster, which really disappointed me. I feel like they kind of blended what the original monster was with the Wendigo. And I don't know if it was to try and keep the internet off their back or if they really were being progressive about it or not even progressive, but being, you know, correct about the way they went about discussing the Wendigo, but they had the first people's person explain what a Wendigo is. and. But it's also a very, very short explanation. It wasn't paced well. Um, It looks great, but it's got a lot of CGI that could have been more practical. And so 
I, I know that when my expectations are held for so long, for like a year and a half, especially after a, a great story comes out that I am really stoked to see as a movie, the expectations are going to be, you know, not met. But I was just really disappointed with the fact that it didn't satisfy anything that I wanted from the book. Yeah, that's always frustrating. So let me talk about two things that I watched real quick, both streaming TV shows. I'll start with the one that I'm almost done. I've got 20 minutes left of it. Uh, and it literally came out the day of our recording. Uh, but I watched season two of Tiger King. Yeah, you're going to say which, that. Which, <laughs> God, on your Facebook smashed through today. it. <laughs> I was like, you're going to say Tiger King. It is, it is not as insane as the first season, but it's kind of, it's, it's weird. I was trying to explain it to someone where it's like all the familiar faces or are there, but it's more of like almost a borderline condemnation of like the insane internet response mm. to everything and the people who are like going out of their way to like try to pardon Joe Exotic and kind of mocking them in their like dumb pursuits and stuff like that but the highlight of the whole show if you only watch one moment from this season the children of Carol Baskin's dead hus or missing husband hire a psychic investigator to try to find where Don where Don was murdered. And this dude is such an overacting shyster throughout his like five minutes of, of screen time that I'm just like, oh for God's sake. It's like, like it's like one of those moments where you're just like, Jesus Christ, some people are fucking awful that they just take advantage of grieving people the way that this dude is very clearly doing but what i would say to go out and watch uh which gelsey has recommended to me my friend lauren recommended to me multiple people have recommended it to me uh only murders in the building absolute blast hysterical weird like Steve Martin, Martin Short, Selena Gomez doing like a borderline Marx Brothers type movie, blend it with like a murder mystery a la Clue, but all among the guys of like starting your own podcast. So just a perfect show for me. Cannot wait for season two. I've got a lot of questions. Yes. Um, but yeah, can't wait. absolute blast. Loved it. Uh, my, fr my friend showed it to me on a Friday and I was done it by Saturday. Jeez. <laughs> I think I did. You texted me and I texted you back and I was like, oh, so what do you think so far? And you're like, it's been 16 hours since I texted you and I'm finished. I was like, oh, yeah, casual. <laughs> Never mind. That How did you like sleep. the entire series? All right, well. That was Piranha from 1978. Thank you once again, Gelsey, for joining us. Go and check out Before My Time. I hear her producer is very nice. Uh, we will be <laughs> back okay. next He's week. Right. <laughs> we'll be back next week with even more horror movie night goodness. In fact, next week, you might be getting something that we never normally put on the airwaves, which is an unedited, raw, live episode of us talking about a Christmas horror movie. Ooh, ah, very exciting. All right, and we'll be back next week with more Horror Movie Night. listening to the Geekscape Network. Do you like to laugh, geek out on music, and learn all about that band or artist who had that one song back in the day, but then seemed to fall off the face of the earth? If so, you need to subscribe to One Hit Thunder. 
Together with an array of interesting and hilarious guests, we do a weekly dive into one-hit wonders like Eiffel 65's Blue, Krayshawn's Gucci Gucci, EMF's Unbelievable, Delamitri's Roll to Me, Los Del Rio's Macarena, Musical Youth's Past the Duchy, and even Patrick Swayze's She's Like the Wind. So are you subscribed to One Hit Thunder or what? As Desiree would say, you gotta be. And as K7 would encourage, you gotta come, baby, come, and join in on the fun of the One Hit Thunder podcast. Put down that smartphone and listen to me. I'm Matthew Milligan, professional musician and lifelong Weird Al fan. Each week, I'm joined by professional podcaster and close personal friend Matt Kelly to take a dive off the deep end into the vast career of pop culture icon Weird Al Yankovic on our show, Weird Algorithm. Along with some very special guests from the worlds of music and comedy, we tackle every song, every television appearance, and every bit of sketch comedy Al has produced in chronological order, covering the good old days of My Bologna and Eat It, the fun zone of tacky and white and nerdy, and everything in between. As we go, we're ranking the songs, albums, and music videos in the hopes of creating the ultimate guide to a career bigger than the biggest ball of twine in Minnesota. So the next time you're having one of those days stuck in a traffic jam wondering why does this always happen to me, just kick off your sneakers and stick around for a while because we've got it all on Weird Algorithm, available wherever you get your podcasts. And now you know. Was that enough references? You're listening to the Geekscape Network. 